Hello and welcome to Restoration Church's Teaching of the Week. If this is your first time, welcome. So glad that you were able to join us. If you'd like to listen to past teachings or to learn a little bit more about restoration, you can go to restorationaz.org. And with that said, we hope you enjoy this week's teaching from Ron Merrill. Um, If you got your Bible, we're going to continue to make our way through Exodus. So Exodus chapter 19 is where we are. Um, By the time we finish... uh, probably this week, next week, we're, we're like halfway through the book of Exodus already. And uh, so Exodus 19 is where we're going to be. You can turn there and uh, be, be ready to go. There was a little boy that had been helping his daddy on some projects in the house uh, one evening. And when they finished up, the dad said, okay, son, I need you to run uh, these tools that we've used out to the shed in the backyard and put them away. And the kid who was only eight, nine years old said, daddy, I don't, I don't really like going out to the shed even in the daytime. And so now that it's nighttime, I really don't want to go out to the shed. And from here at the house, I can't even see the shed. And the daddy said some really wise words. The daddy just said, okay, well, what can you see? And the kid said, well, I could see our big tree. And so the daddy said, okay, well, go as far as you can see. Go to the big tree. And so he took the tools and he went out to the big tree. And then he yelled back to the daddy, daddy, I still can't see the shed yet. And the daddy said, well, what can you see now? And he said, well, I can see the little play set that we have. He said, okay, go as far as you can see. Go to the play set. And so he went to the playset, And then he said, Daddy, I still can't see the shed. And he said, well, what can you see now? And he said, well, I can see some tools that you left out a couple of days ago. You didn't make it to the shed. He said, well, go as far as you can see. Go to those tools. He went to those tools. And he said, Daddy, I can see the shed. And he said, great, now just go to the shed. Go as far as you can see. And that concept and that principle of just going as far as you can see is really the core element of our faith journey, isn't it? And as much as we talked about last week that we would like to have all the answers up front and God lay out every detail of our future in crystal clarity so that we can sign off on it and make sure that we approve of his plan before, life just doesn't work that way. And God doesn't always work that way. And what we're seeing in the life of Moses, what we're seeing in the Israelite people, is that they're simply just going as far as they can see. They can't see 10 years down the road. They can't even see one year down the road. But God has revealed some things. He's directed them to some extent, and they are just trying to with his help, go as far as they can see. And I wonder if you can relate to that. Those seasons where you've just got just enough to get through today or to get through the week or to get through the next few months and you don't really know what's beyond there. You might have a preferred vision of your future, but you're still trying to be sensitive to the Lord and just be faithful to him and do what he's put clearly in front of you. And that's the case for Moses and the Israelite people. God's promise to them to make them into a great nation. He promised that to Abraham. 
He's promised then, he's called them out of slavery and he's sending them to the promised land. They know that that's on the horizon, but they're not there yet. You guys, you know that God's purposes and plans, they are unstoppable. God's purposes and plans are unstoppable, but they are not always fast, are they? They rarely go in the timing or the manner that I would expect or even hope for. And this is the case with the Israelite people. Well, now we dive in at Exodus chapter 19. You can read along with me verses 1 and 2 here. In the third month from the very day the Israelites left the land of Egypt, they came to the Sinai wilderness. They traveled from Rephidim, came to the Sinai wilderness, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. So now they have moved locations. They are not to the promised land yet. They're at the the mountain of God at the base of it. And now they set up camp. They, They are three months out of slavery. I think that's an interesting time frame. Have you ever been rescued from something or freed from something that's been a constant struggle or you've been ushered into a new season of life and there's that honeymoon period at the beginning, right? You just feel the joy of the freedom and excited that you're not stuck in whatever you were stuck in anymore. I think they're probably still in that sort of situation, three months out of slavery. But now, They're going to camp here for just short of a year. In fact, some 57, 59 chapters of Scripture are going to get recorded and revealed to the people of God at this particular campground. 57 chapters between what's going to continue in Exodus and some in Leviticus and some in Numbers are all going to take place over this next year or so that they are camped out in this particular location. So they've been freed from slavery. They know that the promised land is the goal, but they're not there yet. They've set up camp. They are in kind of a waiting season. They're in a learning season. They're in a preparing season. They're in a healing season. But what they need most because of their slavery in Egypt is a re-understanding and relearning and training of who God is and the ways that he operates and how they're going to interact with him. He's rescued them out of slavery. Now he's setting up a season where they're gonna get to know him better and how they relate to him better. That's an incredibly important season in your life and my life. When God has rescued you from the slavery of sin and now you are on the journey toward the quote unquote promised land, but you're not there yet, That season of preparation and healing and understanding and learning 
about who God is and how he wants to use you and interact with you and how you relate, that is crucial. It can be restful. It can be hopeful. Or if you let it, a season like that can be angsty. It can be restless. It can be filled with all sorts of doubt. Because you've heard about the promised land. And then we just start to whining and complaining. Where's the promised land? Why aren't we at the promised land yet? You rescued us from slavery. Why haven't you just pressed the fast forward button to skip over all of the learning and the training and the getting to, why can't we just go straight from slavery right into the exact thing? Because we'd miss a really, really important season. And that's the season that the people of God are in. I was reading a scholar that talked about so much after their rescue from slavery in Egypt, Landon referenced it a couple weeks ago too, that God really interacts with his people essentially as toddlers because they are essentially spiritual babies. They have kind of lost connection with God and his ways to a large extent. And so now God is kind of coming down to their level. I think that's why they're so whiny and complaining. I think that's why they have difficulty with uh, trusting these particular steps. And I think that's why God's reiterating stuff over and over again and why he's providing uh, above and beyond. He's communicating to spiritual babies and he's trying to develop them up to spiritual toddlers and then spiritual teens and then spiritual young adults and then spiritual adults and then mature spiritual adults. And you and I are on a very similar journey. I don't know when Jesus rescued you. But the desire is that you would grow up in your relationship with him, that you would spiritually mature. And God's faithful to bring that work to being, but it doesn't happen fast. Every little season is really important and really special uh, to that end. And so when you're in those seasons of kind of waiting or where he's just working on you or the in-between, to some extent, every single one of us are in the in-between right now. Until Jesus comes back for us, establishes the new heaven, new earth, we're in a waiting game of sorts, even if you're spiritually mature right now. But if you're not spiritually mature yet and you're still growing up or you already are, we're all still kind of in this in-between, it's, it's easy to ask, God, what, what are you up to? What are you doing with this season right now? What are you desiring to do in me or through me in this particular season? I appear to be camped out here. I feel a little bit like I would rather be over there, but this is where you've got me right now. So what are you up to? And if you don't know, then you just go as far as you can see. I think that echoes the words of Jesus. It says, you don't need to worry about tomorrow. Each day has got enough trouble of its own. So just seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Focus on today and he'll take care of tomorrow. We go as far as we can see just every single day, one foot in front of the other. 
And then now God's going to give this beautiful little speech. And he's going to begin here and then over the next couple of chapters, because we're not, clo- we're not far um, from the Ten Commandments coming, God's going to reveal a tremendous amount about himself and how they are to interact with him. He's going to teach them up and help prepare them. Look at verse 3. Moses went up to the mountain of God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob. Now, you've got Abraham, you've got Isaac, you've got Jacob, you've got the patriarchs, these father figures, these men of God that God has spoken to and used in these generations past. Jacob was probably the weakest of the patriarchs and struggled the most. And so it's a little bit of communicating, hey, you're a part of the family of God, you're a part of the people of God, but um, you're not perfect. You still need some growth and some strength. You must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites, listen, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples. Although the whole kingdom is mine, the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. God starts with communicating to his people an awful lot about himself, reminding them again of who he is. He he says, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians, this power and this rescue that he is able to perform, and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Eagle's wings. In this particular region, There were eight different species of eagles. I found that out this week. You know, you study and you learn all this like cool stuff and then some useless stuff too. Eight different species of eagles. In the Palestinian region that maybe this was close to, there's also an eagle that kind of resembled this, uh, it was actually a vulture and had these tremendously huge wingspan regardless. God begins a comparison between himself and an eagle. And that comparison is also drawn in a passage in Deuteronomy. It's referenced in Isaiah. This picture of God as an eagle and the strength of an eagle and the protection that an eagle parent would provide to the little eagle, the young eagle. The care and the comfort that an eagle like that would provide to its little ones. It turns out that when it was time for the eagles to begin to fly, then they would kick the eagle, the little young eagles, out of the nest. But they wouldn't uh, grab the young eagle by their claws. They would let the young eagle crawl up onto their back. Mom would say, crawl up onto my back, onto my wings, and they would latch onto the wings of the adult eagle. And then the adult eagle would fly. And they would learn 
what it would feel like to have the wind in their face and the soaring and all of that, and yet under the power of the parent eagle. And then eventually, they could spread their wings, they could let go, and they would learn to fly in that regard. In a similar manner, up on the back, hunters that would use bow and arrow to hunt birds, and in particular, these eagles, An interesting side note is if the hunter were to be successful, they would have to pierce through the heart of the adult parent eagle and not be able to reach the baby that was on its back. And the imagery here is just so rich for me and you. All of us are young eagles invited up onto the wings of our God who's going to allow us to rest in him and do the work while we're learning how to walk with him and fly as one of his kids and also offer protection from those that might want to bring us harm. And yet, he says, I carried you on Ingle's wings and brought you to myself. In other words, the whole point of what God did in rescuing the people from slavery, the whole point of God carrying us along was for fellowship with you and me. The whole point was to bring us into relationship with himself, that he would be our God and we would be his people. What a beautiful thing, the desire that God has to be in fellowship with us. Verse five, it said, now if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant. God was making a covenant and the covenant, the promise that God was making with the people there was one that was gonna include law and sacrifice and the choice of the people to obey and be blessed or disobey and be cursed. And so now they're entering into this covenant promise relationship that God is going to be faithful always to his promise and his covenant. And yet there are things for the people of God to participate in. And so if you're a part of that covenant, God says, then here's, here's some qualities, characteristics about you, my people. Now it shifts from kind of the character and nature of God to identity of his people. And look at what he says. If you take part in this covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine. And you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. He gives them three identifying qualities, characteristics that are true about the people of God. One are they are the possession of God. He is their owner and their master. And I just got to tell you, as as much as most of us don't like to feel like we're owned by anybody, nobody is in control of us, the, the reality is we are going to either be slave to sin or slave to God. I can tell you which one's better. I can tell you if someone is going to own you, rule over you, our good God is the only one that we should be looking to. Not ourself, not stuff, not other people. 
But God is so compassionate, so loving, so faithful. I'll put myself under him any day. But when he says possession, he's using a word that is more like valued treasure. When he looks at the people of God, the Israelite people, he's saying, you're, you're my prized possession. You're, you're my treasure. You're special to me. I, I really have a particular, distinct, unique love for you, my people, as my possession. And then he says, I also am calling you out to be a kingdom of priests. And that phrase, kingdom of priests, right here, is unique to the people of God in the rest of the Old Testament. But God's heart, what he's communicating to them, saying, you you all, all of you Israelite people are a kingdom of priests. In other words, all of you were meant to like priests do. Priests in their day were going to have direct access to God. All the people of God, all the Israelites were meant to have that direct access to God. And all the people had a ministry to perform to each other and to surrounding peoples, a priestly ministry. All of the Israelites were to represent God to the nations. And so when he says, you're a kingdom of priests, he's talking to all the Israelites and all of you are meant to have direct access to me. All of you are gonna represent me to the nations. All of you are gonna minister like priests do to each other and to a watching world. You're unique, you're distinct, and you've got a ministry purpose. And you can come to me anytime. And then he says, you're a holy nation. Holy means distinct or set apart. And the Israelite people were distinct. They were separated out, chosen out, selected out from all the peoples of the world. And as a holy nation, Israel was going to be this mediator of God's grace to all the nations. They were meant to represent him and then build a bridge to help surrounding nations and all sorts of other peoples come to an understanding of how good God is and the true nature of their one and only God. What a blessing it was that God was seeing this in them and calling them into that relationship and communicating these qualities about them. He says, that's the words you're said to say to the Israelites. And then look at what happens, verse seven. After Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people responded together, We will do all that the Lord has spoken. So Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. So God gives them this amazing speech and then says, now take that to the people. I want the people to know. And Moses does it. He has the conversation. And the people are probably a little overzealous. They go, sounds great. We're all in. We're going to do everything that you said, God. 
But if you've read the scriptures, or you know the journey of the Israelites. Do they pull it off perfectly? Do they do everything that God said? Do they keep the covenant perfectly or no? It's an echo of kind of what we still struggle with today. There's a faithful party in this relationship, and it's rarely me. God is the faithful one to his promises and to his covenants. And yet, the people's heart is to respond. They, they, they like what they're hearing, and yet, they're going to hesitate over subsequent generations. They're going to kind of fumble the ball multiple times, right? But does that stop the purposes and plans of God for raising up his possession, his priesthood, this holy nation? No. You know when it resumes at a massively beautiful scale? The New Testament. And it goes from being the Israelite people, just the Jewish people, now, the prized possession of God, God's people, are both Jew and non-Jew. The people of God, the possession of God, the treasured possession, the royal priesthood, this has now expanded the holy nation of God, God's people. Because of the person and work of Jesus is open to all who would trust him. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, you hear the purposes and the plan of what God's doing and what God's building echoed here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. See, even now people... Once Jesus has come and are getting rescued by Jesus, the gospel, they're now having to, they've been rescued from slavery and they're now having to grow up. They're now having to learn how to live different and interact with God and who God is and what God's got for them. Like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up in your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, Jesus, rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, he's speaking to the people of God, anyone who's becoming a Christian, listen, he says, you yourselves are a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then later down at verse 9, listen, speaking to the people of God, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so now, what was spoken specifically to the Israelite people, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people in Exodus, because of the person and work of Jesus, God's purposes and plans to develop a holy nation has expanded to include me and you. And so now these beautiful qualities 
that our heavenly father has communicated way back in Exodus, Peter echoes in the New Testament. I don't know exactly what it is that you're processing through, you're wrestling through today, or the concerns of your heart, or concerns of work, or what retirement's going to look like, or what your kids are going through, or what your parents are going through, or whatever. Turn the volume down on that for just a moment, and listen, and maybe just receive humbly what God, your God, says about you today. This is one of the most challenging things in all of life to believe what God says about you, to be more true than what you think about you or other people say about you or the enemy whispers to you. Straight from the word of God, despite your circumstances today or your feelings today or what your thoughts are today, here's what God says about you. You are his treasured possession today. You are valuable to him today. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And your heavenly father has your best interest at heart and he treasures you. And he has given you direct access to him. Jesus is our sympathetic high priest. You don't need to go through me, Landon, any sort of religious figure. You go directly to God. You got directly, direct access to him. And a ministry purpose as a royal priesthood. You were meant to be ministering to each other. You are a royal priesthood. You are meant to represent God to the nations and to our city. You, all of you, that's true about you. It's not reserved for a select few. You're a set apart, holy nation of almighty God that God can use to build a bridge of his grace to a watching world. That's true about you. Do you see what amazing stuff God is building throughout history? All the way back in the Old Testament, he's still building a treasured possession, a royal priesthood of ministers with direct access to him and a beautiful gift, a beautiful privilege of being set apart in a world that doesn't think like we do or believe like we do but in order that we might build a bridge of his grace and love. Church, let's just lean in to what he's already building. You're a special gift because you've got a special God. Don't forget it. And so gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have been building, what you have been doing what you have promised, what you have planned. We thank you for all the promises that you've already fulfilled. We thank you in advance for the ones that you will fulfill still yet in the future. We thank you that you have chosen us out. We thank you that you do treasure us. That's mind-blowing to me. We thank you, God, that you have 
given us a purpose and we just ask, Father, that we would just kind of rest on your wings today. That as you soar and continue to equip us and train us, I pray for the people here that aren't quite ready to fly, that they would just find contentment under your wing and on your wing. We pray for those that are growing up, that they would spread their wings and that you would continue to guide them and direct them. Father, thank you for the privilege of being your kids and the kingdom that you are building. Thank you that it is unstoppable. And thank you that we can play a small but important part in that journey, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. Once again, we are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona, and we are so thankful that you were able to tune in. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, Jump over to restorationaz.org to listen to past teachings or to learn a little bit more about who we are and what we're about. Um, If you have questions or if you'd like to connect with us, um, go ahead and hit that contact tab. We'd love to connect with you. And uh, until next time, remember... Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.